4: This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre.
5: What's up, everybody? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Wednesday, April 28th, otherwise known as NFL Draft Eve. I know everybody's very excited. We have a great guest to commemorate the eve of the draft. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped up. The draft, uh, we're doing a lot at Fox Sports. I'm sure you guys saw the announcement Uh, on Tuesday morning that uh, there is going to be a draft show. It's me and a bunch of other guys at Fox. Obviously, I'm very excited for the gambling angle. I will be talking a lot about my New York Jets on the draft show. I have made my point to the powers that be. We must talk Jets. So there will be a lot of Jets. Not a lot. You know, uh, it's the Jets. They're kind of irrelevant. But I'm fired up and passionate about them, so we'll do a lot of Jets chatter on the Fox show. That draft show is Thursday night. And um, before we get to the draft guest who is phenomenal today, Tom Pellisaro, NFL Network, a guy I work with actually at USA Today, really sharp NFL mind, talks to a lot of people. Listen, the NFL reporting job is you know literally an 11-month-a-year job. It's a grind. And if I learn nothing from Adrian Wojnarowski, who I worked with back in the day at a newspaper, You've got to continually update your contacts, reach out to them, not just when there's news or when you think there's going to be news, just keeping that open relationship. And Tom Pellisaro does that as well as anyone, and he's plugged in on the draft. Let's just say um, I really grill him on these damn Alabama receivers who are so fun to watch, but my gosh, taking them top 10, it's going to be a mistake for somebody. And we do a little San Francisco at three and um mac jones we'll, we'll get into it uh, i think you guys will like that before i get to the interview just want to remind everybody subscribe rate review podcast is popping always enjoy your comments on itunes we'll start giving out uh well, i remember we were giving away money during football season because the gambling was going so well uh just not as much to gamble on maybe we'll resurrect that for the nba playoffs and uh yeah, I think we'll do some gambling on the NBA playoffs. We had some success last year. Quick word on the NBA before we get to draft night. The Warriors got destroyed. And it's funny, when the Warriors win, I'm always chirping, and it's like, ooh, Steph Curry, ooh, this is fun. Oh, look at the Warriors. It's great for the league. And then as soon as the Warriors lose, all I do is hear from you guys, hey, you're quiet on the Warriors tonight. They were down 50 to the Mavs at home. Yep, I, I was playing Madden, uh, not Madden, 2K against my son, and I shockingly lost twice. So I'm sorry. I missed Luka and the Mavs ripping the Warriors to shreds. Um, it, that happened. Also, uh, the Bucks winning again, keeping pressure on the Sixers. And yes, the Sixers for two, because Brooklyn's not giving it up. Now that KD's back, KD and Kyrie c- c- comfortably the number one seed. I will say, the Celtics have lost four or five. They played the Thunder last night, and it's funny because... The Thunder had lost 14 in a row. They're awful. They're tanking. And the Celtics said, oh, let's try to steal one with a Jason Tatum rest day. No Kemba, no Tatum. And they lose to the Thunder. So the Celtics have now lost four or five. The Celtics, folks, could end up in the play-in. I thought it would be the Hawks or the Knicks, but it's looking like it might be the Celtics or Heat. And I don't really think you want to end up in the play-in because if you get the eight seed— Brooklyn's going to be extremely tough. I know I've said for the longest time the Celtics will be a challenge for them, but man, um uh, this cratering. I-, I thought second round the Celtics could do some damage, but opening round drawing the nets, oh, that could get ugly. Um so uh, that's the NBA for the night. Not like a great night in the NBA, but the next basically two nights will be all consumed by the draft uh, as we get the rumors Wednesday night. That's tonight. And as we get the draft Thursday night, that's tomorrow night. And then second and third round Friday. And then, of course, Saturday, more draft stuff. So a big few days ahead. For the time being, let's enjoy our guest, Tom Pelissaro NFL.com and the NFL Network.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside.
2: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house.
4: Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports.
5: I know what sports fans want.
4: But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does.
0: Let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy.
4: All
5: right, let's welcome into Straight Fire a guy I worked with a little bit briefly at USA Today. He's now big time NFL Network on TV, I don't know, five, six, seven days a week. Tom Pellisaro. Tom, how you doing, man?
4: Doing good, Jason. Good to see you. I, I yeah yeah it's, it's, been, it's a been a while. A yeah, while it, it has, but I appreciate has. you appreciate you having me. And yeah. uh, we're thirty seconds into this. My phone hasn't rung yet, so we're off to a good start.
5: That's great. That that is good. Now, um, before we start the podcast, uh, uh, you know, I was talking to Tom. He's in uh, Minnesota, um, and obviously Trey Lance is from Minnesota, and. Uh, I don't know, Tom, do we want to start with Trey Lance? I just, I can't get over what's happening at three. It sounds like it's down to Lance and Mac Jones. And I'm just still so perplexed by all of it. Uh, Can you make any sense of this with the 49ers? Is it, is it really Kyle Shanahan's arrogance?
4: I mean, I certainly wouldn't say it's Kyle Shanahan's arrogance. He knows though what he wants in his quarterback. And that's founded from, you know, 20 years in the league plus, growing up in it with his dad, Mike, who's still very involved with the with the 49ers organization. You know, for Kyle, the two things that you always hear that he and his staff value in quarterbacks are quick processing and accuracy. If Mac Jones has two talents, it's quick processing and accuracy. And you see that on the Alabama tape. It's been evident to everybody who has spent time with Jones in the pre-draft process. He obviously, with his shirt off, does not look like Trey Lance or Justin Fields. He doesn't have the athletic ability, although his numbers weren't as bad as everybody was expecting a pro day. He wanted to go. All the other quarterbacks said, I'm not going to run the 40 or I'm not going to do the drills like he did them. He wanted to show that he was willing to compete. Uh, And so you understand it from that perspective, the way that Mac Jones profiles. I mean, a little bit like, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins and Matt Schaub and some of the other quarterbacks Kyle's had success with. I've had coaches who have watched all Mac Jones tape and say, you know, they're not going to compare it to Joe Burrow, but there are some things that are similar to Joe Burrow just because Joe Burrow didn't have elite athletic ability. He did not have an elite arm. He was a guy who was a mid-round graded prospect, probably a day three prospect. Coming off his 2018 tape at LSU, Joe Brady gets there. Burrow takes off, throws 50 touchdown passes. Clear number one pick in the draft. With Mac Jones, also one-year producer, 17 career starts, the same number as Trey Lance, albeit at a different, uh, against a different level of competition. But Mac Jones, really accurate, makes up for what he lacks. Uh, Had good players around him. So did Burrow. You know, played from a lot of clean pockets. You haven't seen him have to short step or no step a whole lot of throws. Mm -hmm. All those are fair questions. With Trey Lance, again, same number of college starts. Trey Lance did not lose. His team did not lose a single game at North Dakota State that he started, although they're also much more talented than everybody else on the field. They've won like five yeah. of the last six FCS titles or whatever it is. With Lance, the biggest hole that coaches poke at him in particular is accuracy. You know, coaches don't watch college tape. During the season, a lot of times, normally it's before the combine this year was more so going into the pro days. So March, last month, coach started digging into the tape. If they had any exposure to Trey Lance, it was because they were TV scouting the game against Central Arkansas last year, which was terrible. Lance played badly. You know, he's 15 to 30 passing, just kind of used his legs in the second half, but was not accurate. Missed too many throws. I had one quarterback's coach to me say, they told me to watch this guy And I thought I was watching the wrong guy. I said, him? This is the guy we're talking about? you know." But what everybody loves with Trey Lance is the other stuff. Obviously, the size, the athletic ability, the arm, but it's also the intangibles, the football IQ, the intelligence, the work ethic, the leadership. All that stuff is so off the charts. I had one college scouting director who was talking about, you know, Central effing Arkansas. Like, are you kidding? This guy hasn't played anyone better than James Madison, but he goes – no matter who you talk to about Trey Lance, they all say the intangibles really are that far mm-hmm. off the chart. So whatever his ceiling is, he's going to reach it. A shout out to James
5: Madison, where I graduated from. Thank you for that. Night. How about reference? that? How about me <laughs> dropping that in there
4: without even knowing?
5: Now, That's good. Let me back up a little to processing, because this is a thing that, you know, I can't find the link. Somebody sent me one where, um, I guess uh, an NFL website, NFL Draft Network, or some some drafts website tried to break down who passed the most to their second read. And I guess Matt Jones passed less to his second read than Justin Fields. And this idea of processing, like, you know, Tom, when you are in that Bama offense behind two offensive linemen who are all Americans, and you've got, you know, basically two, two of the best receivers in the country, and you've got Najee Harris, like, I mean, Alabama was stacked last year. Have we not seen this from Tua? And then he gets to the league and it's like, whoa, uh, what do we have here? And Miami was ready to part with Tua to get Deshaun Watson. Uh, Tua did not look great. You know, this Sarkeesian offense was dynamite. But I, 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 are we overvaluing Matt Jones a little bit? I mean, this is this is a guy who last year, starting for Tua— Through, uh, well, not last year, his first year starting. Um, Two pick sixes against Auburn that were awful interceptions. You could go look those
4: up on YouTube. Like, I don't, I just, I don't see it. I'm sorry. What's interesting on the processing is, you know, Kirk Cousins is a perfect example of this. And I remember having a discussion years ago when Kyle Shanahan was uh, the Falcons offensive coordinator. And I went down to do a story with him. We grabbed a couple beers near the facility. We were talking through it. And the reason that he liked Cousins from day one, the reason they drafted him in the fourth round in the same draft, they took RG three number two overall in 2012 was because Kirk could see it and rip it in the early days for Kirk Cousins. That led to a lot of interceptions because he's seeing Mm. it, he's getting the ball out and he's making the wrong decision, but he was processing it correctly in terms of the way that he was seeing the field. He just, there were times where the ball's coming out so fast. He's looking at the picture so quickly that he's missing something. That's what the coaches are looking for is just that ability to get through both pre-snap and post-snap. I think sometimes processing gets confused with intelligence. It's not always an intelligence thing. There are really smart guys who don't necessarily process quickly, just like there are guys who may not be able to, you know, or guys who are not as smart who do process really quickly. Some of that shows up on tape. Some of it's evidenced in, you know, When you go through stuff on the board, remember, this was a unique process where you could not as a team go watch film with somebody. You couldn't have dinner with them. You couldn't be in person with them, drawing up stuff on the board. All that had to take place on Zoom. And I had scouts months ago talking about how, you know, you were limited in terms of the board work you could even do with some of these quarterbacks and other players because it was solely dependent, your ability to watch tape was dependent on the Wi-Fi connection of the player (laughs) who's at his parents house or wherever. So you got like pixelated stuff and you can't really watch it. I mean, it was just, it's a, it's a clown show at times. And so, yeah, I mean, this stuff was harder to evaluate. There's no question about it with Trey Lance. You don't always see it on tape, but you see enough that you think he can do it with Justin Fields. You don't see the processing a lot on tape, but, part of that is the Ohio state offense and the way that they train the quarterbacks. There are things. And I've talked with John Beck about this. Who's worked with a lot of these quarterbacks, Justin Fields this year. He works with Trey Lance. He works with Zach Wilson. Mm. And he said, yeah, I watched Justin Fields tape. I had the same questions like, all right, you're looking for the deep shot. It's not there. There's a, you know, 10 yard crosser right here. Why aren't you throwing that? Why are you running out to the right and taking it off here? He's like, well, they told me to read it here to here to here. Beck said, the more we talked about it, I could see he knew what he was looking at, but he's being coached differently. And so Ohio State vouches for Justin Fields on that front. Coaches who have spent time with Justin Fields vouch for him too. No, he hasn't done it because that offense does not ask him to do it, but do they think based upon their interactions with him, the way that he talks about tape, the way he talks through plays, that he can do it, that he can advance from that kind of rudimentary but very smart college offense at Ohio State to everything you're going to be asked to do in the NFL? Yes. So can processing be overrated? I think a hundred percent, but that is a core part of what Kyle Shanahan looks for in quarterbacks. And so you can understand wherever they stand today, and that may evolve before this podcast gets posted, but (laughs) whatever they began at though, you can understand why Mac Jones was somebody who was really intriguing Mm -hmm. to him. Yeah, I I think, you know, it would be
5: good if everybody would just come out and agree with this, Tom, that nobody knows how to evaluate quarterbacks. Is that a fair statement? I mean, Lamar Jackson goes 32nd. What he Was he the fifth quarterback taken uh, in the first round, I think, that year? Josh Rosen might have gone fourth. And he already has an MVP award and three playoff trips. Josh Allen couldn't hit the broadside of a barn at Wyoming, but looks the part, and all of a sudden in, what is this, year three or four, he pops with Brian Daybol and, whoa, wait, this guy looks like maybe an MVP contender.
4: I, I, mean, w- I went Prescott. back, I, I went back cause somebody brought up some old, my, my I write the, you know, the quarterback breakdown every yes, year yes. at NFL.com. It goes back to the USA today days. And somebody yesterday was like ripping one of the coaches who was quoted on Josh Allen three years ago about like, I hope this guy's not even in the league anymore. God. And I went back and read it. One of the knocks on Allen was processing that he had seemed at times there were things that weren't moving quickly enough. And the other one was accuracy. And just right before we came on the show, the reason I was a little late recording this, and thanks for bearing with me, is I was on the phone with an executive for a team who's been in the league for a long time, and we were talking about Trey Lance, and he goes, I've never seen a quarterback get better with accuracy until Josh Allen. That was the whole thing. Hmm. The saying has always been, guys don't become more accurate. There's a lot of things you can coach, but if you're inaccurate, you stay inaccurate. And to the credit of uh, Josh Allen, uh, as well as the coaching staff, Uh, In Buffalo, like he really has progressed and Brian Dable and company have done a really smart job in terms of the way that they have been able to bring him along, Brandon Bean given him a ton of weapons. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science, but he has overcome some odds here, yeah. even with all the drops, even with all the ancillary factors to, you know, having, I think it was like a 57% completion rate it was, at yeah. Wyoming. He really has gotten better. And that's just not something that uh, teams are used to seeing.
5: It, it, it hurts me when I hear that, like, nobody's gotten more accurate. Cause Sam Darnold, that was a knock on him, you know, like, Oh, well, he's not that accurate. And you're like, okay, fine, first year, not that accurate. Second. And Darnold year- was
4: another guy. I mean, it wasn't strictly processing, but it was there was kind of a lot of street ball to Sam Darnold at USC, where he just kind of made things happen. He's very athletic, got good arm talent, but you know, wasn't always playing within the yeah. within the scheme. And so you thought he was 20 years old when he came out in that draft. He ends up going number three overall to the Jets. But it was like you were going to have a growth process. Well, he didn't have time. And that's the other thing to remember. We can talk all day about Trey Lance, perfect situation. Go in, sit for a year or two. It doesn't happen. You'd yeah. like it to happen. You'd like everybody to be Jordan Love and have a year or two years to sit and learn. But there's so much pressure. Yeah. If you're drafting a quarterback in the top five, chances are you sucked last year. And chances yeah. are you're <laughs> going to have to put the guy on the field to try to save your job. You know, you hate to say it, but it's it's the truth. And there's a lot yeah. of pressure on these guys to play immediately even as you look at this year's quarterbacks you know we talk about five guys Trevor Lawrence is gonna be starting for Jacksonville week one Zach Wilson you would certainly expect can be starting yes. week one for the New York Jets Mac Jones Trey Lance whoever it is in San Francisco and this may be determined by which one of those guys it is they well whether they're starting a week one or Jimmy Garoppolo who's yeah. had a lot of injuries that Kyle Shanahan talked about in that press conference yesterday you can be forced into action week four yeah. week seven you better be able to do it. Otherwise, you know, people ask all the time, and I hear questions in every press conference, like, why, why is the failure rate so high for quarterbacks? Why do half all first-round quarterbacks not work out? You can say it's, you know, bad scouting. It's misevaluation. No one knows what they're looking at. Context is everything. Coaching yeah. is a lot. What are your... Offensive line, crowding? weapons. Yeah, I mean, what, so what, much. You know, could you really get an evaluation on Sam Darnold last year? You know, no. even setting aside some of the things in the past, the mono and the other stuff, it's like... All his offensive linemen were banged up last year. Mackay Beck didn't, you know, missed a little bit of time before he came back. He played pretty well. You look at the receivers, they were down like at one point, they were down like their top five receivers. I mean, don't remind me, Tom. I know, I know know this is (laughs) it's
5: it's brutal. Post traumatic stress for you, but Tom, like, (laughs) listen, um, Kyle Shanahan's going to be
4: drafting three.
5: I would suspect whoever he gets is going to end up doing pretty well because Kyle Shanahan knows quarterbacks. Sam Darnold is going to Joe Brady, who's probably, I would already say, one of the best 10 offensive coordinators in the league. Um, I really like what he's done already based on what he did at LSU, obviously. And there's a chance that Darnold does really well in Carolina. Whoever San Fran gets is pretty good. We know Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. And then Zach Wilson, if he flops, and I— I mean, first time offensive coordinator, right? The kid, uh,
4: LaFleur's brother. Mike LaFleur, um, whose regard yeah. is really, really sharp. You know, he had a okay. couple, he had I, a couple interviews in this off season with other teams and people walked away going, wow. Man, oh, I had well, that conversation with hear. another team, just like, wow, that guy is really, really smart. And he's trained under Kyle. I mean, you look at the the history of guys who have come out of that system. You know, it is Matt LaFleur, uh, who's you know now in Green Bay and has an unbelievable record through his first couple of years. Uh, you know, it is Sean McVay who's still a really bright uh, offensive mind, and there's other guys within the league. Arthur Smith is running the same system. Yeah. He learned it well, from let me LaFleur. Let me ask
5: you about, about
4: McVay. So
5: he had Goff, who famously, what, didn't take a snap under center his entire college career or some obscene number like that at Cal. And Goff goes in, starts 0-7 for 7 with Jeff Fisher. McVay comes there, boom, jump to light speed. All of a sudden, Goff has them near the Super Bowl, then in the Super Bowl, and then Goff is gone. And now he gets Matt Stafford, who kind of languished in Detroit forever. And is there a chance that marriage works so well that everybody all of a sudden says, oh, maybe it was Detroit, and their coaching staff, you know, he kind of popped with Jim Bob Cooter, and Stafford had some moments. But there's a good chance that Stafford really becomes all of a sudden elite. And then it's like, oh, this is the guy that everybody loved from high school to college. This is Matt Stafford.
4: I'd say whatever shortcomings Matthew Stafford has had have not been all on Matthew Stafford. I mean, there's a reason the lions have, there's a lot of reasons the lions haven't won a championship since 1957, you know, and haven't won a playoff <laughs> game since like 1993 or whatever that statistic is. Uh, you know, and there were just, there were, there were a lot of things. There were a lot of changes. How many different coordinators did he have? How many different head coaches, how many total shifts in philosophy, which is why shortly after last season ended. And this was, I think there was a misconception about this. It was right after the season ended last year before Dan Campbell was in the picture before Brad Holmes was in the picture Stafford had already gone to ownership and said listen I can't do this again I can't go through another one it's the right time for all of us and to the Lions credit they understood that they worked through that they set deadlines they moved quickly and they ended up getting what could be a haul you know whatever Matthew Stafford does if Jared Goff is halfway decent and you got a couple first round picks on top of it I mean that could be one of the great trades um, that a team has made in terms of you know what they were able to get in return. You know, to the Rams, of course, Jared Goff had become a negative asset. They were ready to move on. They had two years of guaranteed money. They couldn't trade for Matthew Stafford unless they offloaded Jared Goff, and that certainly uh, impacted the price. But could Stafford go and have a, a new level of success under McVay? Absolutely. There's never been pressure like this on Matthew Stafford before. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's been playing in Detroit, where if they yeah. go nine and seven and get in the playoffs. Everyone's saying, "How can you make changes?" off? you know, Jim Caldwell was nine and seven two straight years. Jim Caldwell's a great guy; he's a really good coach. But like, there's this idea that well, nine and seven, like he got, he was nine and seven, yeah. like that success in Detroit, in LA with the Rams, nine and seven is going to be a failure. So there's a lot of pressure on Matthew Stafford. There's a lot of pressure uh, on Sean McVay. Not that I'm saying that you know if it doesn't work out, he's going to be washed yeah. out of there. But there's just there's this different level now uh, of expectations. And I'm sure that Sean McVay is going to have some things that he's going to want Matthew Stafford to adjust. Every coach who comes out of that system has things they want to adjust. You talk about Jared Goff, never been under center. Sean McVay totally overhauled his footwork. Uh, There's little things in that offense, like the quarterback has to turn his back to the line of scrimmage on play action that a lot of quarterbacks don't do. Matt Ryan had never done that. Prior to Kyle Shanahan getting to Atlanta, Mm. Matt Ryan had never turned his back to to the line of scrimmage on play action. I've talked about this with Kyle. I've talked about it with Matt. Uh, all these things are just like a little bit different. His right foot forward instead of his left. Basics of the offense. Zach Wilson with the Jets. I don't know exactly what their plan is going to be, so I'm not going to you know speak on behalf of the Jets, but you would expect you know, Zach Wilson's got some pretty freewheeling mechanics now, yeah. and that's something that he has honed <laughs> uh, with John Beck. He's honed it with the approval of the BYU coaching staff. I mean, he's got that. Almost Mahomes-like mechanics where yeah. it looks like he's turning two at second base a lot of the time, flicking the ball across his body, not getting his feet around. Uh, that's not really how the quarterback traditionally has played in that uh, that Shanahan style offense. So it'll be fascinating to see, you know, how they develop him in another place that, you know, let's face it, Jason, you know this cheering for that team your whole life. That is a pressure cooker oh, uh type man. of an environment man. in New York. Win, loser, draw. It's gonna be Zach Wilson's face next to Robert Salah's on the back page of the post.
0: Yeah.
3: Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card
2: member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app
4: today. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
5: Let me uh, quickly on the Lions. Um, new head coach Dan Campbell. New OC, I believe, is Anthony Lynn. Jared Goff, the presumed starter. But there is chatter this week that the Lions are looking at Justin Fields. And listen, I don't want to wish any ill on anyone. But they just lost Galladay. They just lost, I think, their second-best receiver. I mean, whoever goes to Detroit is I I if they take a quarterback eight, I it's it's probably not gonna end well. Is that a safe assumption? I know Anthony Lynn had been good previously, but my goodness, um, you know, this is a guy who wanted to go with Tyrod Taylor, and we all saw Justin Herbert
4: absolutely crush it the second he was in the game. I'm super intrigued by the coaching staff that they have put together in Detroit. I mean I was <laughs> take- by intrigued you mean like your eyebrows raising, like what? No, like <laughs> I I mean Let's start with this. I've said this before, but I would take the Lions coaching staff playing a seven-on-seven football game oh, over God. any other coaching <laughs> staff in the entire league. They've got oh. all these former players from Dan Campbell to Mark Brunel to uh, Anthony Lynn. Antoine Randall L. is on oh, the staff. Man. I mean, they got some dudes on that team, and that's, that's going to bring a little bit different energy. Remember, Dan Campbell also was a player in Detroit. Yeah, so he knows know. all the things that have have ailed the Lions organization. He knows the general negativity in the media there and the fan base there. They want to think everything is a failure immediately. you know Campbell's gotten crap about the biting off kneecaps thing. It's yeah. like the, the default joke for everyone. but like everyone thought this was like some kind of a you know tough guy act or whatever no that's Dan Campbell. yeah that's a the guy head, that people loved right? in Miami. They loved him in New Orleans. He had a big role presenting to the team there. He's the assistant head coach. Players are going to want to play for this guy. And so I I think that you have to take this new regime on its own, you know, between Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, John Dorsey, who's one of the best evaluators in the league is an executive with the Lions. So he's involved right now in their draft process. They've got a lot of smart people. Uh, I don't know that. You know, sitting here today, and we're a little over 48 hours out from the draft. I don't know that I buy them taking a quarterback at seven. What I can tell you is they, uh, along with the Panthers and to some extent the Broncos, have got a lot of phone calls from teams moving up. The big question for everybody to ask themselves in this draft is how far you want to go back. Because in a normal draft, when you talk to teams, there's 32 picks in the first round, most teams are going to have 18. 20, maybe two, tw- 22 players with first round grades this year, you talk to teams and there's like 14, 16, maybe 17 hmm. first round grades. Meaning if you're in the back half around one, you are choosing from a pool of second round players. So there's going to be great variability in the boards for different teams from, let's say, pick 17 To pick 47 or 57. And so you're going to get more surprise names. Guys, do you go? That was in no mock draft. I listed some of them uh, in a story today. Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina, has got some real fans. Would not surprise me if he ends up sneaking into round one. The two Georgia corners, Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, both ran really fast at their pro Mm -hmm. day. Uh, You know, ball skills are kind of a question, but Stokes had four picks last year. Campbell tied for the team leading pass breakups. There's not a lot of corners. You got the top two guys who are going to come off in, in Horn and Sertan. Big questions on Caleb Farley because of the twin back surgery since yeah. he last played a game. But those could be the next couple of corners who are coming off the board. Some receivers gaining steam. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. I would expect as of this, as of right now, that he ends up going uh in the first round. And then wow. tackles. I mean, there's no real interior offensive lineman. There's no defensive tackles. There's no safeties who are sure bets to go in the first round. Normally, those are the positions from 20 to 32. When you run out of players, you go safe pick interior offensive lineman, interior defensive lineman, you know, safety. They're not there. There could be some guys who go. The TCU uh, safety Trevor Morgan is one uh, who potentially will go in the first. But it's going to be wide open uh, really through the, you know, through the second round and all the way into day three. When you consider the fact that you've got decentralized medicals. There were only 150 players, less than 150, who went to the combine to get the full medical. Everybody else was getting uh, medical. All the other combine guys were getting medicals in their home cities. And if you weren't a combine invite, you're under no obligation to go get an MRI for anybody. So teams are kind of patchworking this themselves. You don't have top 30 visits. You can't bring people into your facility. I mean, there are going to be guys you take. The joke last year was, we're taking guys on day three. We haven't shaken their hand. The joke (laughs) this year is, we're taking guys on day three. We haven't shaken their hand. We don't know how tall they are. We don't oh, know what they weigh. We don't know what kind of 40 they run. We don't know what's in their medical wow. file. Because if a guy just says, oh, I can't make it for an MRI, that's it. You, but then you, you should just shouldn't draft him. And, Why that's, would you dra- and that's exactly <laughs> you know? it. You may see teams leaning on power five players on day three. It may mm-hmm. be leaning on guys who just have the cleaner medicals, guys who have character issues and otherwise would be late day two, day three picks. They may not go at all. They may be priority free agents just because, you know, every team right now too is trying to deal their 6th, 7th round picks for future picks. Nobody wants to make those picks. Yeah, they don't. This want to year, roll the dice. but there's no oh, one to boy. trade them to, and so everybody's <laughs> yeah. going to end up kind of stuck here. It's a really unique dynamic. But hell, man, we've been in a unique dynamic for 14 months here. We've done it once already. This will just be the second time through.
5: All right, we'll do a couple rapid fire here to wrap up. Um, do either of the small Alabama receivers go in the top 10?
4: Your guess. I would say one, if not two of them, end up wow. going in the top 10. And I would say don't be surprised if Jalen Waddle goes before Devontae Smith.
5: My my only issue is where? I mean, do you really think Miami's taken one of those Smurfs that early?
4: Uh, Smurf will be your word, not mine, Jason.
5: Yeah, yeah, my word is Smurf. I mean, Devontae I, Smith weighs less than I do, bro.
4: I would not be surprised at all. The Miami wants wow. to put as many weapons around the quarterback as possible.
5: You never uh, – listen
4: – I mean, but wait, Tom, hold on. You've seen
5: the history of small receivers in the top 10. Often, like you said, they're going to bad teams. Now, Miami was pretty good. They just missed the playoffs last year. But I, but, but you
4: have to to pick, Yeah. I mean, I know every team's going to make those, you know, try to do those profiles and figure out what the the historical success is. That's absolutely part of the analytic approach the teams take. You have to look on some level, though, like, who are the players? John Ross came in with major questions. Uh, He had injury history. I mean, there were teams that didn't think he'd go in the first round at all. And the Bengals take him at number nine. You're like, okay. And, uh, you know, obviously he's had a bunch of injuries since he got into the league. But that wasn't like a shock. That one's going to be small. I mean, maybe yeah. it was, but everybody knew that coming in. You know, Tavon Austin was a, a really high drafted uh, guy and he got a second contract. He got like a $58 million or something contract. Mm-hmm. So like he was a player. He just wasn't a fully dimensional uh, type right. of a receiver, at least with Waddle, as well as Devontae Smith. You know that they can run a route tree. You know, there are receivers in this draft who they're kind of those gadget, toy, manufactured touches guys. Kadarius Tony from Florida would be an example of that. Teams don't look at these guys that way. There is more love than you think for Jalen Waddle. That's not to talk down at all on Devontae Smith, but there are more people in the league who think Jalen Waddle can be special than you might think.
5: Yeah, at this stage, I prefer Waddle to Smith. Um, all right, second, does
4: Justin Fields go in the top 10? I definitely think Justin Fields goes in the top 15. It would not surprise me if he goes in the top 10. There are teams that are okay. they're calling in about trades to potentially move up. Will any of those happen? Remains to be seen. But you would think teams like New England, if they're calling around in the top 10, odds are, and the belief of everybody who's gotten those calls, is the target would be Justin Fields.
5: Um, do, uh, do the Patriots trade up? There's no way, right? Bill Belichick trades back. He doesn't trade up.
4: No way Bill Belichick spends $183 million in guaranteed (laughs) money in one free agent cycle either. They're breaking the mold there. They say Robert Kraft has said publicly he wants to do things differently. They've got some different voices uh, in the scouting department now. Matt Patricia, the former Lions coach, of course, has gone back there. That's been documented that he's involved on the scouting side now. Uh, They brought in Elliot Wolf, the longtime Packers scout, former Browns assistant GM. He's part of the process there, too. Dave Ziegler has taken on a larger role with the departure of Nick Casario. So a little bit different dynamic uh, than they've had in the past. Obviously, Bill Belichick still has the hammer there. uh, But based upon what happened in free agency, would it really surprise you that much if the Patriots break the mold and instead of trading down, they trade up in round one? I believe anything right now.
5: Anything? Wow. Okay. Um, I guess that's pretty. Those are pretty much the juiciest angles. Is there any player you hear that's just rocketing up the boards uh, or tumbling down? I know we want to try to keep it positive, but uh, any anybody maybe falling a little bit? It sounds like Farley could end up with the Jets at twenty three if he given the back surgery issues. Yeah, Jets are desperate at cornerback, Tom. You know that they have nobody, and uh, you know in that new defense, you know they got a bunch of edge rushers, but they have no
4: corners. Right. I mean, the Jets would certainly be a team that potentially is in play for a corner. Arizona would be in play for a corner. There's a bunch of teams that need corners, a bunch of teams need tackles, which is part of why you're gonna see probably runs on those positions uh toward the end of round one and you know, also into a, into day two of the draft. In terms of fallers, there's there's really not. There's not that guy who's just gonna absolutely plummet. Farley would be the one to watch in the green room just because people don't know. We did a story mm-hmm. in rap fortnight, yeah. NFL.com that posted Uh, early this morning, there is a split among GM. Some say they're really comfortable with the medical. Uh, everybody basically says Farley will be back in time for training by the season. If not in time for training camp, the question is just, how does he hold up? He's had a back issue for over two years. He hurt himself in like February of 2019, went through the season, had sciatica, had to get in February of 2020. Uh, the first discectomy opted out of the season was training, said he felt good then tweaked it again in January. Mm. So it's been over two years since he started dealing with this. It's been 17 months since he played a game and back surgeries for a guy who's also had an ACL tear and plays a speed position is a short and long term concern for some teams. They just don't know how mm. the back is going to respond. But again, there are teams that say he's going to go in the first. It doesn't matter. He's a top 10 player. He'd be in the conversation with Orin and Sertan's the first corner. If he were healthy, he's going to go in the first. Then you talk to other people. Other GMs who say, no, like we wouldn't do it. We're talking in our draft room about, okay, let's say he's there in the second. Do we do it? Those are the conversations and the scenarios the teams game out uh, in these final days until the draft. Uh, Those are the calls that I get at all hours of the day and night uh, from teams, too, just trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Drew Rosenhaus, who's Farley's agent, says that he believes and is confident in his discussions with teams that Farley doesn't even last till pick number 20. So, We'll all get a front row seat to Drew and Caleb Farley because they'll be in the green room in Cleveland on Thursday night, and that'll certainly be uh, one of the dramas we'll be following. I I don't want to say it's similar to the linebacker from Notre Dame
5: who fell and Dallas just couldn't pass him up second round. Uh, Jalen Smith. Smith. Jalen Smith. Yeah, the difference with Jalen Smith. I mean, not back injury, but yeah.
4: Right, and he had a a nerve issue that was uh, a pretty significant thing. Uh, I remember going to, um, where's he from? Fort Wayne, Indiana, I believe it is. Uh, before that draft, like a week before and sitting down with him, he was doing drills, he was working out, uh, you know, and he told me like I'm feeling more every day, like I can tell it's regenerating uh, and it has to a large degree, you know, come back, but it took time, uh, you know, and I don't know that Jalen Smith has ever been the same player, you know, the dynamic mm. top five type of talent that he was at Notre Dame prior to a really unfortunate injury that I think occurred mm. in, in, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. But, you know, he didn't slide out of the second round of the draft. You know, he did end up going. He had an insurance policy uh, that he had taken out prior to playing his last year at Notre Dame, which is what all these guys do in case you suffer some kind of a dramatic injury. With Farley, from my understanding, there is some weakness still in one of his big toes, but that's pretty normal because he's less than what a month and a half out uh, from his last microdiscectomy. Jeez. So that's normal, but it's a leap of faith. There's no question about it because there's no way. If the question in the draft room is, have we seen this guy since the back injury started be fully healthy? And has he played a game since the first of two surgeries? The answer is no. So yeah. you've got to either go, we are willing to take the gamble for, and get a bargain on a guy who otherwise is long gone before our pick, or you're not. Yeah. And that's, those are the decisions. And the important Definitely, thing on medical maybe, to yeah. always remember 32 teams, 32 medical staffs, 32 different degrees of risk tolerance. Even yeah. if 29 teams, X a guy off the board. There could be three teams in the first round that are all trying to trade ahead of each other for Caleb Farley or whoever it might be. And so he could end up going far sooner than other teams would be able to stomach take him. Uh,
5: Before I get you out of here. So the Ravens made a trade. This is non-draft with the Chiefs last Friday. And Tom, I got to say, I don't understand why a team like the Ravens that's chasing the Chiefs would help the Chiefs pick up an offensive lineman when the Chiefs clearly need an offensive lineman? What am I missing here? Is this simply that they didn't want to pay uh, Orlando Brown? Is it that uh, you know they, maybe he's a bit of a problem in the locker room, unhappy that he wasn't the left tackle because they
4: have Stanley? Like, Why would you help the Chiefs of all teams with a tackle? Orlando Brown's an awesome guy, one of my favorite people in the NFL uh, to talk to. But he wanted to play left tackle. They have a a left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, who's coming back from an injury uh, that they just paid, I think, three days before his injury, two or three days before, which was some kind of timing on Stanley's part. Uh, And, yeah, they were not going to – you know, they couldn't offer him the left tackle job, and they certainly weren't going to pay him like a left tackle. So, at times, when the best offer you have is going to be a team that you are ostensibly competing with, even if it's not within the division, within the conference – You know, you have to make those decisions. Eric DaCosta. But shouldn't
5: shouldn't the Ravens have done diligence and called every team in the NFC
4: said, do you want a left tackle? I'm sure they did. And I'm sure nobody (laughs) else was offering them an opportunity to move up into the first round. I mean, the Chiefs have been bold throughout this entire offseason. Gave a massive deal to Joe Tooney. You know, they they bring in Kyle Long out of retirement. They get back uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. They bring in Austin Blythe to play center. And now you make a trade for Orlando Brown. I think the one you know, the one key thing there is people have reported as if they're getting a first-round pick and they're getting a third and they're getting a fifth. No, really, the way the teams would look at this is you're moving up 27 spots because the Ravens gave up their second-round pick. So they moved from 55 or whatever it was up to 31. So you're jumping from the second to the first, but it's not a straight first-round pick in this deal. So from the Chiefs' perspective, they can still move down. You know, they can still get a good player. Uh, in their view, and probably again because of the way this board breaks, you might get a pretty similar player at 31 in the Chiefs' minds to what you might get at 56, depending what your position of need ends up being. Now the Ravens get, you know, have that extra pick uh, in the first round, and you know if they've got multiple needs, receiver is certainly one. Even after signing Sammy Watkins, I would think they'd be trying to address that's a spot right there where they have those picks now at 27 and 31, where they may have their pick of the receivers that they uh, that they like. All right, he's Tom Pelissaro, NFL Network. NFL.com. Um, you do a lot of stuff, man. You're on TV a lot. You do radio. What what don't you do, Tom? I feel like I'm always asking the same thing about you because I see you on TV <laughs> and you got a radio show. Apparently yeah, you have a trying. podcast. I now need to start downloading yeah, yeah. Yes, the podcast you I'm on it. <laughs> I gotta I, I gotta dive into all these things. And of course yes. you're a legend hey. for the big lead. So yeah, man. Wow. I just try to yes. I just try to keep up uh, you know, the same way that you do. I should have you on more to
5: get more nice compliments. We can use that, all right, that Tom, as a liner a for the podcast <laughs> right there. Feel free. It's all yours. All right, man. Enjoy the draft, Tom. Thanks again. Thanks, Jason.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
2: I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny,
0: USA.
2: Zumo Play.